Hi everyone. I hope you're having a great week. Uh, this week's episode of the podcast is with a very special, quirky, creative person. You may or may not have heard of him. He is the host of Jazz FM. Uh, it's James B. And yeah, we have a candid conversation mostly focused on artists and having a gratitude mindset as an artist and creator. And he shares a little bit about um, my work uh, that I did with him and for him in terms of the paintings. And yeah, he he can be quite a eclectic and interesting character, uh, but I hope you do get a kick out of it and enjoy everyone. All right. Well, hello, hello, everyone. I'm very excited for this week's episode of Stories of Life and Love and Leadership. I might add that to the end. Um, my name is Alisa. and leadership. Life, love, leadership. Exactly. Three uh, L's sound really nice, but don't yeah. forget that some leaders are maybe hopeless bottoms. So, oh, um, oh, sorry, never mind. We don't need to go there. It's not that That's kind okay. Of- it, no, it doesn't get. No one's taking it personally. It's fine. But it, this yeah. is maybe the L, the L uh, cubed, the L cubed show. Story yes. Of the power of three. Exactly, and I am really excited to have my guest for this week to share his wisdom with you guys, James B. Hello, James B. Hey, how are you? Awesome. Nice to see you. Yes. So James, um, you are, you have been the host of Jazz FM 91. You have been a longtime musician and curator of excellent, excellent jazz music. But please tell us a little bit more about who James B is beyond his sort of public self and how you okay. I don't really have an elevator pitch for a question like that. And I used to, when I was young, I used to say, when they say, what do you do? I'd say, how much time have you got? Do you <laughs> want the long answer, the short answer? Uh, so I know what you're asking. I mean, as a kid, I knew I wanted to be in the arts right away, immediately. When I found out that being a painter, an actor or a musician could be a career, uh, I was probably five years old. I knew I wanted to do that. Um, but I think around 40 is when it hit me beautifully that I should spend half of my time promoting other people and mm-hmm. half of my time doing my own thing. Two reasons there. One is I'm really good at promoting other people if I do say so myself. That's, it seems to be my forte, uh, lots of success. Uh, but when it comes to my own stuff, it fuels me, it makes me happy, but I'm not gonna stay home and finger paint my whole life and say, look at what I did, mommy, look at what I did. Like at some point, <laughs> Artists, especially actors, sometimes painters or sculptors, but people, they, musicians, no, maybe not so much, just because they maybe don't think of it as much. Music, when music drives you, it's a whole different thing. When it's art, when it's coming from your creative mind, and I mean, a lot of famous actors think they're fakes. I don't deserve all this money. All I'm doing is pretending I'm somebody else. They, they go a bit crazy. Somebody paints beautiful pictures, everybody loves them, but they can't sell or pay their rent. Or they have splots on the wall that sell for thousands of dollars. I don't think Jackson Pollock had any trouble sleeping, but a lot of artists like him, uh, maybe were like, I'm not even a real artist. Like people just have this self doubt. So when you're spending half of your time helping other people, working on behalf of other people, uh, that's what gives me, I hear the word thank you every day. Wow. And 
that means a lot to me. And, and I always say to them, thank you for making good music. The reason I'm helping you is because you're amazing. So you keep making good music, I'll keep playing it on the radio. Or if someone doesn't have a record, I'm gonna go find the financing for your record. Or the way I met you, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, I was walking through this big gala event called the Chocolate Ball. There was Evelisa painting out of chocolate. I'd never seen that before. And I'm a freelance narcissist. So I sat down, got my, got my painting done. And I really liked it. And then I showed it to my business partner and he said, hey, I wouldn't mind getting some pictures. Little by little, you painted like half of my friends. You, you painted yeah. a lot of people when we first met. So those are easy ways to help. It's just moving it forward. So um, half of my life has to be that. Now, if I wasn't writing musicals and uh, uh, producing records and, and events, now they're live online events instead of with people at the, in the audience, but whatever it is, you can do something or you can do nothing. So I'm just always gonna do something. I love it. It's, I just love the, the passion and the energy. And you know, I'm really curious what was the, that key turning point at 40 you're saying where you started to focus on generosity and abundance for others and how did you see you know that impacted your own uh passion projects your own creativity you know you're saying right. and i've heard your i've heard your music you know definitely yeah. has a sense of humor to it but i've heard some of it i'm sure there's so much and even you saying writing musicals and all that stuff how have those personal projects uh evolved as you started to become more generous and think, uh, is there anything works on now I think the way it works is because it feeds the soul. It feeds the spirit. When I'm working with other people, uh, I'm, an, I'm an automatic pilot. There's no ego involved. All I want to do is achieve whatever it is I'm, I'm out to do. So if it's to introduce somebody to somebody else who can help them, uh, mm -hmm. that, that's an easy thing for me to do. So I can do a whole bunch of those things in one day. I can do more in a couple hours than I could have done in my 30s in three weeks. Like... <laughs> as far as how much you can get done. So the passion for other people uh, is the fuel. It does slow me down on my own personal projects. It, it, for sure it does. Mm -hmm. um, it takes me longer to focus on getting writing projects done with the exception of a couple of writing projects where I sat down and like four, I said, I have four months, I'm gonna write a musical, right? And I can't really talk about that one yet. Uh, I'm working on it with, a, with another musician and I'm kind of waiting uh, until we see it moving forward before I talk too much about it. I don't like to jinx things. Oh yeah, of course, of course. But, but I did write the musical. I was hired to write it, um, which is always really nice when you can pay your rent and do what you want. Um, but it does take a lot longer to get projects done. It's okay though. Again, this thing about being, it was 42 to be precise. Mm -hmm. uh, when I turned 42, a whole bunch of revelations happened. One is, I was now on a course where I could just pay my bills and not worry. That mm -hmm. sounds normal to people if they have had a job for years, but when it comes to musicians and artists, that's not normal mm -hmm. to, to know you have a check coming in. So as soon as I knew, I'm like, okay, I'm working at Jazz FM. I've got a few freelance gigs. I could pay my bills. Now I've got to start working more for others. It's not like I wasn't doing it before. Okay. I was just doing it when it was convenient to help or as part of my job. Uh, bands would pay me money to go to um, uh, south of France uh, to a publishing convention and represent them. 
Okay. So I was working with them, but I was working more for them than with them. Mm -hmm. uh, what I do now is I work with people. And, and when people don't have money and I really believe in what they're doing, so far, touch wood, uh, it seems like it works. Like people actually, I find the money and we get the project done. Do you think that it's helpful to, it's a, it's a matter of shifting mindset? Like what advice would you give artists and creatives who might always be, you know, like worrying about paycheck to paycheck? And what do you think makes that key difference? Oh, well, that's a great question. If, if it's you- It's a bit of a romantic emotion. This is, this is really, really, really kind of common, but you, what you fear you attract, what you focus your attention yeah. on is what happens. If you spend all your time worrying about something that's gonna happen that hasn't happened yet, mm -hmm. uh, it seems the life we're living right now is a great example. I think food tastes better than it's ever tasted. Um, when the weather's nice, I am so, the way that we're living right now, uh, I'm more grateful for great weather. I'm more, food tastes better. Um, mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of, of negativity and, and worry about what the future holds, but to keep it together and to keep grateful, like everything is better than it's ever been and I needed to slow down and I'm still getting work done. I miss physical touch. I miss, you know, uh, I haven't hugged- Being the company of people. Yeah, I haven't hugged anybody in three months, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, this is very unusual for me. Not a good time to be single. Normally, I rejoice in being single, but right now, maybe I should have had my hibernation buddy uh, set up for this. Um, but aside from all that, to be serious, the, the way of moving forward, what you fear you attract. So if you're going to sit around and worry about your rent and worry about your money, that's, that's, what you're, that's the frequency you're on now. If you can somehow figure a way to cut your bills back or to make it so that you can actually coast a little bit. You can be a little bit on edge and make great art. Of course you can. Some of the people that have the worst lives make the great best music. But, mm -hmm. uh, but to keep yourself sane, I think the main thing is to really be grateful and focus on what you want to get done. Yes. And, and I mean, it works for me. Everybody has a different game plan, but I find staying positive and keeping busy. Oh, and biggest thing of all, sense of humor. When things don't go right, just think about the book you're writing of your life. Think about your story. Exactly. And that's that. the way that you can actually have a big sense of humor going, oh, this really sucks, but it's going to be a great chapter in my book. I love that. I think that's so helpful. It's a helpful tool to kind of look at things from that bird's eye view bird's eye view mm -hmm. <laughs> but that bird's eye view especially when things become challenging and what's the narrative what's the through line that pulls you know that weaves through those challenges those ups and downs and then it makes you kind of focused on what can i take away from this what's the learning process and i'm also very happy to hear that this time to kind of wind down a little bit and pause for you has been positive and you've been looking to that gratitude i think that's a beautiful not, and not just positive actually maybe dare I say, important, because when do we ever slow down? So yeah. I know we're being forced to do this, but yes. now it's time to be, in one, in one case, perhaps, master of your own domain. Uh, but on the other case, you get to, if, you have a, if you're having big problems, look inside, like yes. constantly look inside for what kind of uh, uh, answers are there. And also, are these, these are really first world problems. I mean, no matter what problem we have, uh, if you're, well, 
this is going around the world, but if you're in Canada, we have a healthcare system that works. Don't believe Fox News. Um, we have we have uh, fresh air, we have food, we have shelter. If you if you have the most basic things, then it's up to your own brain, your own spirit to keep going through. If you have to sit down, I, I wrote a song that's a little bit silly, um, but uh, it was like, I can't believe what it took to sit me down and read a book. <laughs> I've, read six, I've read six books in the last four months. Um, I love it. So, so it's like quarantine is, is difficult for lots of people, but I think artists maybe have it easiest in their spirit or in their head because they can keep creating. But that doesn't mean it's easy financially. Um, it's everybody's hard. The friends of mine that are having the hardest time are the people that have the most to lose, the most money, who run companies. They're having a terrible time right now. Uh, and for most artists I know, they're like, well, I mean, we've always had it hard, so here we are. It's hard again. No big deal. One jazz musician said, I lost four gigs last month. I just did the math, and I'm ahead 80 bucks. Oh, that's how bad the gigs pay. <laughs> oh, but you know what? I think I think it goes to also say before, when you made that decision to become generous towards others, how important it is for us to be, especially as creative people, um, to better give to others. You know, it is important for us to be flourishing in different ways. Yeah. So I think it, it makes us uh, stronger for that. So, and it sounds like... But know, I don't want to sound like a saint. I agree with what you're saying. I just want to make sure... When I'm doing this for people, I will say 85% of the time, I am a fan of what they do. I oh, yeah, rarely, it's authentic, sure. Right. I rarely go to help an artist who sucks because I think maybe they should give up what they're doing, get a day job, and do it as a hobby. Everyone should sing. Everyone should paint. But not everybody should send me their record to play on the radio. Not everybody should have a gallery show. But everyone should ha make art. But for the people that are exceptional, I'm doing it as a super fan. I don't wake up going, oh, I'm going to help the world. I don't think like that. I look at somebody going, that yeah. person's amazing. They need help. That's ridiculous that they're having a hard time. I think that's very special. Yeah. Do you think about legacy, your own legacy ever? Yeah, I do. Uh, I hate to say it, but I am an Aries, uh, Moon in Sag, Leo Rising. So I'm a triple oh. fire sign. And like, I, I joke that I'm a freelance narcissist, right? Like, I'm really a narcissist. I have a mirror that works. I know what I look like. It's pretty funny. Um, so I don't take me seriously. Uh, but I take what I do seriously. My mm -hmm. actions have consequences. So I take my actions seriously. So when I, when I think of legacy, uh, an example, my dad just finished his memoirs. It's like 240 pages. Uh, it's a great read. And I said to him, okay, look, I'm going to hire an editor to go through your book and fix it up, make sure it's all typos and it all makes sense. Uh, another guy to do your cover. I said, now your book's done. Now let's go uh, press a few and put it online for everybody. Mm -hmm. His legacy, when you see that and you see how excited he gets, another friend of mine did the same for his dad. And it's like, you know what? This is a beautiful way for a person with a regular job who's from a small town and gets to tell his life story. And it's a good read. I'm not, not just because it's my dad. If I didn't know that guy, he'd be my buddy anyway. Yeah. Um, and so it makes me look, because I was working on this book uh, for years now, uh, before I turned, I think it was 47 is when I started writing, really writing it. I've had uh, 30 years of diaries uh, also. But 
I started writing it and it just keeps getting shelved. Uh, there's one guy doing a documentary about me right now. Uh, I've got all these records to produce. So I, it takes a back seat. But the legacy thing is important to me because I think my story's hilarious. And I think a lot of people will get a kick out of it. I, 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 even if I'm writing it as a book, I'm picturing it as a film because it's extremely visual. Seems natural that for film. Yeah. And, if, and, and somebody asked me who would play me in, in the movie of me. And Don Cheadle because he's that good. Oh my God. Okay, no, maybe not. Uh, uh, maybe Jeff Goldblum. There you go. I Actually, Jeff Goldblum would be great. I, I met him in LA, we sang together, and uh, he went, oh, nice suit. Hey, good hair. Wow, you would be great. Who are you? <laughs> he's fascinated by you. I think he would be able to channel you really well. Yeah, he's also, and no matter how happy I am, somewhere Jeff Goldblum's having more fun than me. <laughs> He is just absolutely lovable and wild. Let's start that conversation, James. But originally I thought it would be Jeff Bridges because he was so good as the dude in The Big Lebowski. Oh. <laughs> I think Jeff Goldblum has a nicer edge. Oh, Goldblum. No, no, it's got to be Goldblum. You know, so you've talked a lot about your, um, you know, your parents. Your parents were wonderful people. Your mom had such a sense of humor. Oh, they had mom, a love the Betty yeah. White of Canada. She would say the raunchiest things only towards the end of her life. She, yeah. she her, her biggest swear when I was a kid was bugger damn, bugger damn. <laughs> she didn't want to swear. So wholesome. <laughs> yeah, but, but as she got older and after like one stroke, she could say anything. She goes, I can say whatever I want and you have to love me. Oh I had a stroke. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you've just always told such wonderful stories about them and them being very supportive. And, you know, when you were when you were younger and with your siblings and everything. And I think beyond supportive. I think my mom was like, she wanted to be mommy dearest. She wanted oh. to be the stage mom, taking me to the show. You be good. Yeah, but, uh, so and, and also, yeah, my dad, wicked sense of humor. Uh, yeah, he mentioned toned, he's writing his memoirs, right? And he's toned down his sense of humor. Okay. <laughs> because we're not in the 60s or we're not in the Mad Men days anymore. Okay. Um, I got a lot of my warped sense of humor from both of them. <laughs> and it's a dangerous combination. So I make sure I don't use my humor on people who might not get it. It might be a bit pervy, even but, though yeah. it's actually just supposed to be funny. The evolving times, right? But, you know, still it's very spirited and very positive. But my question is really like, with that in mind, who is someone in your life that really, you know, believed in you before you even believed fully in yourself, if that makes sense? Um, Outside of your parents, because they've had- I, don't, I, I can't go back that far. The North Bay memories are, are fuzzy and I don't, I recall everyone being okay or beating me up for being fat. In your twenties, maybe your thirties. Well, I'm saying in 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 my childhood, yeah, it was not. It was I was either a girly boy because I dressed funny. Yes. And I always dressed like this. I always I always dressed like this ever since I was a kid. So there's that. Um, uh, but when I got to Toronto, I can tell you one of the first people is Mark Breslin from Yuck Yucks. He's the owner of the Yuck Yucks franchise. So he started the career of Jim Carrey, Harland Williams. Uh, Mike, I, no, maybe not Mike Myers. Well, he did Yuck Yucks a few times. But anyway, a whole bunch of great comedians. Um, and he was a fan of my very weird band, Look People. What he did, I mean, he did more for me than he'll ever know. Mm -hmm. He took me under his wing and really showed me how you can get paid by three people to do one job. Mm -hmm. um, uh, for example, and they, oh, all about board. But it's like, 
go get a sponsor for this show, this comedy show, then get a sub sponsor, then get a deal from the venue that we're going to bring all these people into, then get a deal, like just keep working on each time you get one thing happening, another thing happens, another thing happens. And I mean, that's how you're in a festival. It's no trade secret. But to me, I was a kid, I had no idea how this worked. So I got to meet with the heads of Air Canada and Molson's and all the marketing people and throw big parties for people. Um, it was an absolutely amazing time in the, in the late 80s is when things went full, mm -hmm. full tilt. So I'd say he was one of the first people that, he also taught me something that every artist needs to know. What is it? You will be audited one day. Save yeah. receipts, keep track of stuff. If you miss your taxes for a year or two, they're gonna come and get you. If you do anything, uh, any kind of subculture, any kind of arts things that doesn't work for everybody, like anybody who wants to be an activist, right mm. and be shut down wow. by one phone call to the tax man so just keep track of that because he told me that he said one day they're coming for you and yeah, when no, they did, it's and a good thing i have my uh, meeting with my accountant on monday <laughs> yeah well when, they did, when i have the same accountant from now 30 years and this was oh. again through mark because he says you just keep track of your stuff and i did and it all worked out but it could have been a nightmare love it Good, yeah. good advice. See, really good sound, advice. grounded, practical self-management tools for uh, any creative person. Important. And another person that really helped was Joanne Smale, not a household name because she is the was the publicist. Like she was publicist for David Bowie. She's mm -hmm. done a whole bunch of book deals. She did all the bands back in the old days, parachute club type bands, right, mm -hmm. uh, in Canada. So she was a publicist and her job was just to get people in the newspaper and on TV. Um, and I was uh, an intern with her uh, when I was in high school, and she taught me here in Toronto, her office was on the top floor of the Elma Combo, uh, she taught me everything about media, what they're looking for, how to get their attention, how not to bug them. Um, so those lessons from her are, have been with me my entire life. And the one thing I can say is, uh, I mean, it's a different landscape now. When I was young, I could get anybody in the paper with a phone call. Mm. And now it's a lot more work because there are a million people with an easy button and they hit send. And so I'm on both sides of this because on the media side, I get 400 emails a day to Jazz yes. FM pushing something. Yes. It's hard to get work done when you 400 people know how to reach or you without leaving yeah. their house, right? Yes, definitely. So, so those, both those people taught me a lot. One about the business side, getting sponsors, uh, and how much you can meet people through parties and through mm -hmm. events. Instead of always going into a meeting, have them come to you. Yes, absolutely. And then the public relations side or the, the relationship and side. And the PR side has been my best friend for all these years. Also, it helps me uh, gauge when people send me things. A good example, somebody sent me a, a, a pretty average record, below average. And... She said, uh, do me a solid and give this a spin. Hmm. And I wrote back to her and I said, okay, but you only get so many rubs of the genie lamp. Are you sure you want to use your wish on this particular record? Because I will count this as a favor to you. I normally am not like that, but when someone asks me to do something I wouldn't normally do, yeah, you're yeah. asking me to play a song that I don't want to play. It's not terrible. It's just not good enough, right? Exactly, yes. It's not amazing. And my listeners expect me, to, they want my taste. They don't want me to be a clearinghouse of shit and favors. 
<laughs> so what would catch your attention more appropriately like or more in with more interest well well she got my respect back because she wrote back to me two seconds later the publicist and said actually no don't worry about this i understand what you're saying uh, thanks for your time uh if i need to call in a favor uh, it'll be later it won't be this one and I, I just reminded her like don't say that casually yes exactly if you're asking me a favor you are my friend and maybe this artist is like going bonkers so depressed they need something right i'm mm -hmm. like okay i get it but you just have to know when you're asking for a favor and because i was on both sides because i'm the artist trying to get in the newspapers but i'm also the guy on the radio getting a million people pitching me it's exactly. really helpful to see that there is a balance there uh and some of my favorite people one guy called me up and i rarely answer my phone but i picked up the phone and he was so eloquent on the phone saying, I know you have a million things and everyone's trying to hype you. You don't know me from Adam. You don't have to believe me. But I represent a singer. She's, I, I believe in her so much and it would mean the world to me if you would just come down, I'll buy you a drink. She's at the Drake Hotel uh, every Monday night or something like that. So I said, okay, oh, you know what? I'm gonna come yeah. down because I like the way he wrote and, and spoke. I liked, uh, I had this thing like, wow, this guy's being really respectful exactly. and he's not pushing hard. He's saying he believes in her. And anyway, we're best friends. We've written a couple songs together. The girl's gone on to become quite famous. It was, I'm talking about Elise Legros, right? Mm -hmm. So she has had a record. She's been touring Europe for over a year now. And, uh, and so everything worked out. But that's a guy who just said it the right way and he was nobody. So sometimes I kind of prefer uh, mm -hmm. the personal approach to the business approach where you just know they're sending, hitting one easy button to go to everybody. Exactly. Well, it sounds just so honest and humble and, uh, right. that's and what, respectful, and yeah. respectful, empathetic to your situation. You know, like I got it. Yeah. So maybe we can circle back to the paintings that I did for you and how they made you feel a little bit of the story about that. Well, the cool thing is, it, when I got this painting, and it, I mean, it's on a piece of paper, you know, about life size, yeah. about life size. Um, well, the first thing I think you remember, I had it very expensively framed because I yeah. loved it. So immediately it's hanging in my house. Um, I, uh, I know that uh, one of my best friends, Jessica, she came over for dinner, she saw it. And I'm like, hey, you should get paintings from this artist, she's amazing. So I invited you to a party at their home. We had a salon, a big jazz party with about 30 musicians, 20 or 30 friends. And mm -hmm. I didn't know this, but the next time I saw her, you had painted her entire family. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Lorenzo, uh, my business partner, has, had already said, you know what? I think we should have her as our Vesuvius artist. She should paint all of the singers on our first Muse record by the Tiki Collective. So you actually painted 13 women, young yeah. women, uh, in, uh, in about a month. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was really good for us. Uh, and then we did a couple of live paintings because that is something that I love, is when somebody sees you doing it live, there's no trickery involved. It's mm -hmm. you, your brush or crayons it could be anything you could you could do art with anything but it's right in front of them so I always think that's something that people really really enjoy and it also goes to show you can you're not doing caricatures it's art mm -hmm. it, it, yeah, it, you're looking at them through your unique lens did you want to give a little bit of an update on what's happening with Muse now 
Sure, we just finished uh, a vinyl LP. Uh, what I did is I took the stem tracks from our original album, sent them to Europe. Uh, Walt Zweifel in Switzerland selected only just vocals and bass on one or, or piano, violin and vocals. He, he just picked a few instruments from the original album and then went off on a tangent and made this beautiful work of art. Mm. Um, it should be, you should wear it with, you should either have headphones or blast it really loud. It's actually quiet music. When, yeah. you, when you think of remixing, you think of funko, 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 funko. This is reimagining. Wow, I love that. And what the artist did, uh, the graphic artist uh, said, Evelisa's art's amazing. Let's just take a few of those uh, pictures and because it's a vinyl LP now, they're going to be quite a bit bigger. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's a, a much more modern look than our original album. Nice. You have um, all the originals, right? You guys used the originals? We, we like, use, well, we only, we have eight tracks. Okay, yeah. Instead of, instead of 12. Nice. So, so of those eight, yes, all of those singers in different sizes. You're, you're going to love it, especially because oh, it's vinyl. Yeah, so beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much, James. I really appreciate getting a chance to chat with you and hearing a little bit more about your own out of my shell. Say it again. I said, I'm coming out of my shell. Exactly, perfect. It's so nice to circle back to you, especially during everything that's been happening. And thank you for joining us, Stories of Life. Yes, you know, when Americans, for years, when, when people leave Americans, they always go, stay safe. There you go. I found that alarming as a Canadian. Wait, even before this was happening? Well, way before this, before 9-11. In wow. New York, when people would leave, they'd always go, stay safe. And I always thought, well, wh where's the danger? What? That's terrible. That's like you're living a life of paranoia. But they didn't see it that way at all. My, my no. good friends in New York would go, oh, no, no, man. It's just like, it's dangerous out there. It's a jungle out there. No, just stay safe. It's just the thing no. you say. I wonder. Like, we don't do that up here. Now, no. now finally, people will say stay safe because they 